Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Tyler, he, his, him. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And you've waited for it, you've asked for it, you've demanded it. Not really, we just promised it and now it's finally here. Yes. Uh, is your spooky, spooky episode, an episode that was originally supposed to come out as the second episode of October, uh, and then life happened. So now it's coming out as the second episode of January. Aren't you so lucky? Uh, And we're going to be talking about characters from horror movies, and specifically horror movies that are actually scary horror movies, not like the kind of funny scary that we did before. Uh, And as a get-to-know-you question this time, I should have thought about something ahead of time. But since I didn't, I'm going to vamp for a little bit here while I try to think about something. Um, I was prepared last time. Well, that's, you know, that's between you and your God. Uh, I... Junior uh, the Asparagus from Lord of the Beans. Yes, exactly. Um, I think... Okay, let's do it this way. What do you... What kind of, like, scary movie do you prefer? Are you, like, a psychological horror person? Are you, like, a a slasher flick person? What, uh, what kind of scary movies, like, when you're going to sit down to watch a scary movie, what are you drawn to? Well, if I am going to sit down and watch a scary movie, if... (laughs) <laughs> this is a big question. Sure. Um, I like, one, I like it when it's a different concept, first mm-hmm. off. I don't need the 15th poltergeist. Sure. The nun is out to get us. Oogie boogies. Yeah. Um, I do like me some more psychological thrillers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not averse to the body horror stuff. Like, I love me the Saw franchise. Yeah. You get me some gore and some psychological thriller in there, and I'm down for a good times. Um. I don't like jump scare horror. That's mm. just, we're going to jump scare you the whole time. Yeah. It gets a little anxiety provoking after a while. Yeah. With that said, you know, good psychological thriller, something that makes you think a little bit and makes you go, oh, that's scary because it could happen. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Yeah. I personally am more interested in like classic horror typically oh, yeah. like 80s classic mm-hmm. horror um so things like the original halloween so good the original nightmare on elm street all of those like kind of starter franchises mm-hmm. and where they began i really enjoy i i love a hitchcock thriller um and you know like uh, psycho is great rear window is fantastic mm-hmm. um vertigo is on my list to see but i haven't seen it yet. those kind of all go into those more psychological thriller mm-hmm. Categories. But I like specifically that style of psychological right. thriller. Um, There's something amazing about a good black and white horror movie yeah. before you had the crazy cinematography CGI. Like right, I think that that's when part it's of music. It. There's something and more shadows. real feeling about that. Mm-hmm. I, I do like um, I do like some of those modern psychological horror ones as well. Um, the one that's coming to mind is Midsommar, which we watched a couple of years yes. ago on Halloween. Uh, and just such a fantastic movie. That one, I kind of joked that it wasn't scary. It was just more like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. This is very uncomfortable. Yeah, same with uh, Get Out. Also yes. very similar. Get Out is not uh, scary. Get Out is just deeply uncomfortable and deeply disconcerting. Yes. Um, and also a very uh, a movie I really love because people misinterpret it all the time because... They assume that the white family is conservative, but mm-hmm. they're actually liberals. Yes. Uh, and the, the metaphor is about 
how liberal white people treat Mm -hmm. people of color in this country and at the time especially as like this sort of like yes you're amazing you know Mm -hmm. i would have voted for obama for a third time if i could have like this very it's still this kind of insidious thing we're Mm -hmm. not talking about get out today i was originally but then i thought i deemed it inappropriate uh given uh given my (laughs) racial ethnic background (laughs) um but uh, I think, you know, the interesting things of those, like, more modern psychological thrillers that follow, like, one person and their experience in this mm-hmm. really intense experience is really a great way of doing that as well. Absolutely. I think, like, classic horror-wise, and we can a little tangent, but, like, I've always been a fan of, like, the Rose Red mm-hmm. and the House on Haunted Hills yeah. and um, Amityville Horror. Yeah. It's a good stuff there. So... Nice little get-to-know-you question. Good job vamping and figuring it out. We got there. <laughs> That's all that matters. Yes. Uh, you know where else we're going to get? We're going to get to some case presentations. So, Jen, I believe you have a new client. I do have a new client, and we are in New York mm-hmm. on one of the off-little islands off of New York. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been pretty safe and secure lately. I found some refuge on this island, luckily, very quickly after things went bad. And I haven't really had an issue, but we recently had two new people come to the island after what looked like a really, like, scary experience, but we know that the mainland is in a safe place right now. And you are trying to figure out what movie I am talking about. I love the mechanics of the brain. And um, luckily for this young teenage girl, I also know sign language, so we can actually talk to each other. Got it. And we are talking about um, The Quiet Place Part 2. Nice. Yes. Um, So real fast, when working with individuals in the deaf and hard of hearing community, there's a couple ways to go about this. Um, If you, I would say, if you are not deaf and hard of hearing yourself and grew up with sign language as one of your primary languages and haven't taken specific counseling classes to be able to counsel with sign language, don't just be doing this on your own. <laughs> yeah. 100%. For sure. Um, if you grew up in the hearing community and have taken sign language classes, that still does not qualify you as an interpreter. Yep. And that does not mean that you are eligible to work with the deaf and hard of hearing community. Um, you can easily go get that training. You can get interpreted level training. You could take deaf and hard of hearing cultural competency classes and you can prepare yourself just as if you were going to be doing therapy in a a different spoken language. Mm -hmm. But you would want to make sure that you have the licensing, cultural competency and training to do so. So there is like the one route to go about it. The second route would be working with an interpreter inside the therapeutic setting. Mm -hmm. And if you're working with the therapeutic in in the therapeutic setting with an interpreter, you would want to make sure that you are creating a safe space for all three of you to be working in and understanding the limits of confidentiality in that setting space. Um, You would probably also want to make sure that like one, if the individual is bringing their preferred interpreter with them, talking about what that relationship dynamic looks like or if you are providing an interpreter this would be my bias but making sure you have the same interpreter willing to do possibly a Mm year-long assignment um, so that you have that trust and that built-in safety net um, 
the deaf and hard of hearing community, I would assume, has their own, like, established therapeutic network, but I know their resources and availability to the community isn't as strong um, just because ableism is a thing. So just making that awareness. Personally, from my stance, um, I would not feel comfortable working with uh, a deaf and hard of hearing or a deaf and hard of hearing person that uses sign language as a primary form of communication. Um, solely for the fact that I don't have interpreting level skills and that cultural competency. But for the case of the quiet place too, we be talking. <laughs> I have enough communication skills to allow this girl to come sit with me for a while. Um, but I just wanted to throw that piece of psychoeducation out there. Yeah. Um, if that's something you're interested in learning more about, there's amazing resources online with the deaf of hard of hearing community and specifically how it crosses with the mental health community that you can go find. But for her... So I'm specifically going to be talking to Reagan Abbott as she has made her way to the island after escaping the mainland and um it's been a lot these past well like it's been a lot for everyone these past couple months and almost a year now i do believe and feelings coming up and giving her a time to process this is the first time she's been well from what we understand safe in a long time the monsters that are plaguing the mainland aren't able to swim and get wet so they don't make their way to the island and she's sitting for the first time and when we've gone through intense trauma we can't really truly start to stop and think until we are outside that stressor and this is the first time she's been able to take a breath and even just starting with like hey, you want a place to talk. Yeah. And a place to let it out. Like, you can scream if you need to here. It is safe to do so. You can sob if you need to do that here. It is safe to do so. And outside of, like, the monster world, therapy can be the first place sometimes someone feels safe to cry and get loud. So, again, giving her that space to do that. Um, but we'd be specifically talking about you know, she's come here with this sense of purpose and duty and talking about how her, the thing that has made her quote unquote different is the one thing that could really help everyone and that sense of hope that comes with. So when we finally have hope through grief and through devastation and we're just a teenage girl mixed with all of that, giving her space to just tell her story and like what happened and giving her a space to process losing her dad and process, you know, her sibling dying and now having a new baby that she's trying to keep safe. And that feeling of isolation that comes with being deaf and hard of hearing in the world. And also feeling isolated in the sense that I'm the only one that can help. And now we kind of have this savior worry complex forming of what if I failed? What if I'm wrong? And helping her find a sense of like, hey, one, this is not your responsibility. You, no one's responsible for saving the whole world. We can work together to figure this out. And two, it's okay if you're wrong. It's okay if we've made mistakes. You losing your dad was not your fault. You didn't know, like, just because you figured this out now does not mean you had to figure it out right away. 
and helping her kind of sort through those all or nothing cognitive distortions that we tend to give ourselves when we think, well, what if I could have just done this sooner? What if I was better? What if I was this? <sighs> Take a breath. Yeah. And when I do what if work with clients, when I hear that a lot, I'm like, well, if you can what if one way, sorry, you have to what if the other way. Yep. And they don't usually like it when I say that. <laughs> Well, that's what we would kind of be doing. Well, what if you saved it day one and this wasn't an issue? What if you didn't? What if someone else had figured it out? What if someone else figured it out and did nothing with it, but you chose to do something with it the moment you figured it out? Um, and kind of giving her that sense of agency again of like, it's okay. And in the sign language dynamic of it, you know, being able to find someone that can also speak with her and that giving her the you're not alone feeling in the sense of isolation. And I think ultimately, you know, hey, you have a you have a safe space to spend the night. How about you go get some rest? What are the basic self-care needs that we need right now? Food water, a sense of shelter. When was the last time you were allowed to have that at peace? And hopefully we can have a calm night together and that nothing will go wrong. Hopefully. <laughs> and that would be a, our little time together, probably just sitting on a log by the water talking. There you go. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That, that idea of like, and now you get to sit with your trauma that you've been trying, you've been literally, literally running, running from. from. Yeah. It's going to catch up with and you right now. it all just kind of hits you at once. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that's pretty, a common story for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and a reason why people go to therapy, right? Like I can sit here, I can cry here, I can sob here. Right. And I think when we're talking about trauma, like sometimes I'm working with clients where the stressor is still occurring. Yeah. And they're like, well, why can't I just get through it? It's still happening. Yeah, you're not done with it yet. I'm not done with it yet. We yeah. can't, we can process a lot of it, but we can't process it until we're through it. And yeah. this is the first time she's had a chance to sit yeah. since the ba the baseball game or whatever. Yeah. And I think the other thing to say is like, that's, it's still not done either yeah. with her. It's yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, you're in a safe place for now. For now. Um, it doesn't so, last long. Yeah. But then she fixes it. It's a horror movie. That's yeah. how it happens. Yeah. All so, right. And so what made you choose this character? Quiet Place was probably one of the first horror movies that I voluntarily went to in a movie theater. Yeah. Because it was such a cool concept. And... <laughs> and giving ourselves that, like... Such a different heroine to have a teenage girl who's deaf, who's actually deaf and hard of hearing, and working with sign language and making sure that people were actually using ASL properly on set. Yeah. Such a cool difference in hero. And I love the alien concept of it. Mm -hmm. Again, like, as I said in the beginning, I like it when it's something different and new. Yeah. It's not just like, it's the monster under the bed or old man Jenkins. <laughs> Great, we've had a lot of old man drink in horror stories. And she's she's a really cool, different character to talk about. And yeah. to have a horror franchise where it's not just, oh, we're going to process trauma. Yeah, we're processing trauma, but there's something different about this, which allowed me to talk about American Sign Language in the therapeutic yeah. setting. So there you there go. You go. <laughs> Sometimes that's just it, right? We, just, yes. we find a topic we want to talk about, and here we are. 
was well, awesome. cool. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for listening to part one. We'll be right back with more Stories with Shrinks. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks, where I just finished talking about The Quiet Place 2 with Reagan. And Tyler, I do believe you also have a new client. I am, and I am bending the idea of actually scary. Uh, you love to bend the ideas. I to bend the idea. Uh, I, I brought something that's very, very campy. I would say there's definitely some genuine horror in this movie, but it's definitely more campy, and it's a little bit more modern. Uh, I bring to you Mike Schmidt, who is 25 years old, cisgender male, white European-American, uh, and uh, we are talking about the Five Nights at Freddy's movie because it is relevant to, uh, you know, life. Um, we're really only going to be talking about probably the first part of the movie, so not a bunch of spoilers here. Um, I'm not going to be talking about any of the parts where he's actually interacting mm -hmm. with uh, animatronics and that kind of a thing. Rather, we're talking about what happens right after the very beginning of the movie. So, Mike was a security guard at the mall, and uh, he feels that uh, a kid is being kidnapped by uh, an adult male, and he chases this adult male down and tackles him into a fountain at the mall. And later finds out that this was the child's father. The child was okay. Nobody was getting hurt. Uh, but he has this overreaction to it and tackles the dude into the fountain. Loses his job for this outburst. And basically what I'm saying is he's a mandated client. <laughs> hey, he's here. Mm -hmm. um, and we would be talking through what kind of led up to that outburst. What's going on there? He uh, states that he has sleep problems. That he does take pills to help him sleep. Uh, but that when he does sleep, he often dreams, and the dreams that he has are about one specific topic, and that topic is his little brother's kidnapping from his childhood. Uh, the movie takes place in the year 2000. His brother was kidnapped in the year 1987, and uh, he has this extreme guilt around the loss of his brother, and he has these reoccurring dreams that are connected to that guilt that are affecting his sleep, that are also him reliving that story over and over and over again. So we would talk about that. We would start processing that childhood trauma, discussing how it's connecting to his current life and other traumatic experiences that might be connecting to his current life. He is the sole caretaker for his little sister. His parents have also passed. Um, and that also brings its own challenges. Now that he doesn't have a job, there are, you know, some things, some CPSE kind of things there of like, how do you plan to provide for your sister to make sure that she has, is not neglected, has a house, has food. Um, he's also told me that he's in danger of being evicted, which also is a, is a big red flag for, hey, we might need to call CPS on this if you do get evicted. Um, Homelessness is not technically reportable. That's true. That is very true. It might be like, hey, do we want to call CPS to begin to get getting resources? To get resources. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to report it. I'm right. saying we're going to so, talk to them for resourcing. Just that reminder. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not reportable. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, being unhoused is not a, is not a reportable thing. Um, but having a lot of red flags for neglect, making sure she's taken care of, she's not being left at home for hours and hours and hours on end by herself. Um and also understanding that, like, if he's having these anger outbursts, is he a danger to her? Mm -hmm. um, so I think not necessarily telling him, like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Because I, I want him to trust me. I want him to be able to talk to me. 
But having that in the back of my head as like, okay, let's make sure this is safe for everybody, including his little sister. Uh, and then we talk about, you know, how does this trauma affect you now? What happened with that outburst? What's happening with, you know, your job? What's happening with this? Like, what are the ways we can take this stuff and move forward rather than focus on this past experience? And how can we talk about, like, your brother's kidnapping in a way that's not guilting or shaming yourself? You were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. You did not have the power to stop your brother from being kidnapped. If your parents, who were adults and were the adults that were supposed to be watching in that situation, didn't have the ability to stop your brother from being kidnapped, there's no way that you had that power as a 12-year-old. And really trying to focus on what that guilt is about for him, what, uh, what is going on there, and how we can come to some sort of closure with that, with the knowledge of, like, this is a complex grief issue. You don't know what happened to your brother after he was kidnapped. Um, by the end of the film, there is a, a high, uh, it's, it's inferred that his brother was murdered after being kidnapped. Um, but that there is still, even in the movie itself, no closure on that particular story. It's almost like it's going to be a franchise. Almost like they want a whole franchise off of it. Yeah. But it's heavily inferred that his brother was kidnapped by the person who murdered the kids and put them into the animatronic mm -hmm. suits. Um, and I think that, you know, going through and talking about what does it mean to move forward from something like this when there is no closure, you're not going to get closure necessarily. You're not going to find out what happened to your brother. Can we just move forward in the thing of like, let's take it one step at a time, one day at a time of he's gone. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your parents' fault. The only person that is at fault here is the person who was the kidnapper, the person who took your brother. Can we have some sort of ritual to go and go like, okay, we're going to, I, I do this thing for my brother once a week or, for, or, you know, to think about him or to hold him in a positive light rather than forcing yourself to have this dream state where you're reliving those moments over and over, trying to solve a problem that isn't solvable. And hopefully over time getting him to have good like a good routine with sleep hygiene and doing all those practical stuff as well to get him to be able to sleep without the use of the medicine to get him to be able to sleep without having night terrors to get mm -hmm. him to a place where he is sitting with this trauma in a way that is like yes it's still uncomfortable because i don't think there's a way to make this comfortable but to go okay this is uncomfortable but it doesn't have to run my entire life and i can have a life outside of this trauma and I cannot have it affect my life in this negative way that is going to get me in trouble, get my sister taken away, all of those things. And so that would be my work with Mike. Yeah. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty short and sweet, but it's one of those things where it's like he's a mandated client, we'd be doing some anger management stuff, but we'd also be going for the deeper root of what's that trauma. Right. Let's help it so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And when I work with clients that have like reoccurring dream dynamics, I also just give them like the psychoeducation on like why we dream mm -hmm. and like talk about how working memory works and the consolidation of memories. Yeah. And we're dreaming because our brain is trying to process stuff that we're not really paying attention to during the day. Yes. And that, you know, sometimes they're like, well, if you dream about this, this must mean no. Probably not, actually. It's probably just your brain trying to make sense of a world that's really chaotic right yeah. now with the emotions that we're not dealing with. 
Yeah. So let's, you know, be mindful to say, like, what am I feeling right now? Grief? Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and that is something with him especially. He's got a book in the movie about dream theory yeah. and that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, sure, but I, you know, I don't think it's really that. It's that your brain is hyper-focused on this event that happened mm-hmm. in your life. And you're reliving it because yeah. your brain is hyper-focused on, on it. Oh, and we need time to process it. Yeah. And it's really a place for that grief to go and for that guilt to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, rather than, you know, feeling it full on in real life, you're just waiting until you sleep and you're right. feeling it then. Right. It's the first time we relax enough to allow the thoughts through. Yep. So, absolutely. Well, thank you. So mm-hmm. why Mike? Uh, I really liked the Five Nights at Freddy's movie when it came out. It was It's really fun. It's very campy. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some genuine horror in there that is, like, really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, some body horror stuff that you would probably find f- fun. Um, <laughs> Tyler's like, your definition of fun, yeah. Jen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, really, it's because it's this wild, ridiculous franchise, mm-hmm. and yet the things that you're facing are these very realistic Things. yeah right like it's it's literally a franchise about ghost kids possessing animatronics into like a chuck e cheese to the point where chuck e cheese is getting rid of their animatronics yeah yeah, yeah they can't have them anymore yeah um and so like that's like the that's the basis of this whole reality mm-hmm. right but i think there's something very grounded about like i had this childhood trauma i can't get past it mm-hmm. i can't find closure on it what am i supposed to do with it uh, and so kind of helping him through that. And it's an interesting conversation yeah. every single time. Absolutely. It's like, it's almost like when you have a grounded story through in a horror movie, you enjoy it more. Yeah. It makes it better. Makes it a little better. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. With all that said and done, if you're interested in following us and learning about new episodes coming out, go over to Instagram at stories with drinks, where I do try to post when new episodes Um, come out in a timely manner and also post when I feel like it mental advocacy information a lot of social justice information is coming out more regularly right now be mindful of the world that we are living in and getting accurate information from accurate sources and helping each other out when necessary and hopefully often with all that said like comment share word of mouth is our best friend And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Take care. I know.